Latino Rebels Radio. Latino Rebels Radio, Julio Ricardo Varela here. It's Sunday, November 22nd, and you're listening to us on Audio Boom, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you know, in my quest to continue to explore the post election analysis of the 2020 election, I, uh, I'm bringing, you know, you just heard the conversation I had with Carlos Odio. And if, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it because it's fantastic. Uh, but I also have someone else who I actually have known, Giancarlo Sopo. How are you? Hey, it's great to be on. Thank you so much for having me. So do you want to just reveal what you just did, your title and what you did um, <laughs> this 2020? Yeah, so um, I had a very long title on the campaign, which was director of rapid response for Spanish language media, but uh, for President Trump's campaign. Um, but uh, for short, uh, you can feel free to describe me as a Hispanic communication strategist on the campaign or a, a spokesman for the campaign. Either one works. All right. So you have been on before. If you guys are fans of the show, I think it's actually one of the best conversations I've ever had. When you 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 were mocking Latinx and I, we had a really good conversation. And I just want to say one thing for all the people that know me as a journalist, I do this right. I mean, this is where I think there are people in this world that you want to share different perspectives. And Giancarlo, I've known you since we connected, right, about a year and a half ago, two years. Yeah. You saw me. I I was one of the first political journalists, I think, Latino political journalists. I hope, but um. That was like, you're, you, got, you got to watch. Are you a top Latino? I'm a top, are you a top Latino too? Yes, Axios. <laughs> yes, I, I, for people that don't even know what that means, go to see this uh, tweet that I tweeted out over the weekend. Axios um, uses the word top Latinos who were, we should have listened to top Latinos about this election. But anyway, let's cut to the chase here. Um, you, I was following the Trump campaign and Latinos for Trump and seeing that it was a, integrated strategy of an effort by the Trump campaign. Like I saw that pretty instantly, whereas in 2016, it probably wasn't as integrated. There were moments. And I kind of said, even with what was going on, that we were going to see better performance by Trump because there was investment and outreach. Yeah. And you then become part of the team. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's interesting. So can you explain exactly what you did in the last year, year and a half, right? Year and a half you were on the campaign? Yeah. Well, thank you um, so much for like the warm introduction. And I also just want to say that even though we have like these different political views, I, I really admire uh, your fresh perspectives and how honest you are. And in fact, um, about like two months ago, I was, I was having uh, coffee with some, uh, some other conservative Hispanics and we all agreed that you were just a top-notch guy. And oh, we, my we God. Really... Well, that, you know, I'm sure there will be plenty of people who, who follow me who think I'm, like, I'll get, I'll get some, um, some grief, but <laughs> I don't care because I've always, you know, as a political journalist, especially in the Latino space, it, in, in what you say, it's like, it's what I, you know, it's all part of, like, the bigger sphere here. So, so thank you for those kind words. Yeah, I'm sure someone will misread this. I'm going to get a troll tweet, but whatever. Who cares? <laughs> uh, but continue. Uh, yeah. So um, so it's funny. I, I actually like um, when I was younger, I was a Democrat. And um, so you know, I, I went into the private sector and was doing corporate comms for, for companies. 
And around December, I connected with a friend of mine who was working on the Trump campaign, and I just flagged for him. I said, hey, I think you guys really should look at, um, you know, just pay close attention to the Spanish language networks because they're very influential. And that then that turned into a conversation. Um, and long story short, I joined the campaign on April, April 1st to run rapid response. Oh, wow. So to- it's only been months. I thought you'd been on it for, wow. So you've only, we were on for like six months You and you are no longer part of the campaign. You told me you've already, right. Just to, just yeah. to be, disclose that while we talk about this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, you know, when I signed on, my contract was through November 15th. Um, okay. Yeah. And I, I'd also decided like win or lose, I was going to go back to my lovely wife and my, my, um, my life here in, in Dallas, Texas. I, I kind of enjoy that. And the the speed of a campaign is, is fine for short term, but just a little bit too much for me long term, especially for somebody who wants to like have a family and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. just, <laughs> just yeah. have like a normal life. So tell um, me, so what did, because I think what specifically did you do that, that, be, that because I, I do think it's important to unpack because I think the, the takes are very simplistic to be honest with you. And, and yeah. like they're not asking top Latinos, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and I think there was a cultural like whether you were, you know, and this is where I'm going to do this other disclosure. No matter your political view, you guys were doing pure, like traditional outreach politics and messaging to a certain voter. And I think I've I've been saying that about the Trump campaign and Latinos, like you were getting the voters that you needed to get. So, what did you do yeah. specifically? Yeah. So my role in the campaign started out where I was essentially hired to do rapid response, which is to monitor what's in the media and respond, uh, respond to it. Um, then, you know, um, a few months in, they appreciated uh, some of my talents and I started taking on just a, a larger role and helping out with advertising and just helping out with Spanish language communications overall right. and complementing the existing efforts of the press team and supporting the Latinos for Trump coalition, which was run by uh, a colleague of mine who's fantastic called Sandra Benitez, uh, who she really led the grassroots effort and working with community leaders across the country. Uh, she'd been building that for years. And uh, I, I really think uh, she's one of the great unspoken heroes of, of the campaign, and she just did a, a phenomenal job. And I would, I would support them in however I could, and I would also uh, help run the Equipo Trump uh, Twitter account. Um, you know, and it was a, it was a lot of fun. We, we had a we had a, a lot of fun on the campaign, and it was great to, like you said, to really reach out to these voters and help amplify the message of the president and all the great work. Uh, that the campaign was doing in in reaching out to these diverse communities. So what specifically worked in terms of campaigns? And I mean, because I I really want you to break down the ones that you, I mean, again, I want to know like what you've, what you thought worked and how did it lead in your opinion to, I mean, I wasn't surprised about Florida and I wasn't surprised about Miami because I I saw a lot of what you were doing. You are, you are from Miami. It's, it seems like you were running a Miami campaign (laughs) <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. So, um, a lot of, um, like you said, uh, a lot of the work that I did, uh, focused on Florida. So let's start there. Um, one of the things that we did in Florida that I'm, uh, that I'm most proud of that, uh, my team and I worked on and, you know, we work closely with our colleagues and the coalition and on the Florida team with was expanding the president's, um, 
the the Republican base in Florida on the Hispanic side to include uh, you know what, what, are, what are called non-Cuban Hispanics, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody knows that Miami is heavily Cuban. Um, so in Florida political lingo, we just say anywhere. So if you're not Cuban, we'll just classify you in this group called non-Cuban Hispanics. Um, there was sort of like this assumption. Everyone thought that uh, outside of Cuban Americans at Venezuelans were like the next huge block of voters in South Florida. And that actually wasn't the case. Um, when you look at the data for every one Venezuelan, there are about three or four Colombian Americans. And so we made a strategic decision to really hone in on Colombian Americans because, you know, especially people like Mercy Schlapp and I, who are from Miami, who we grew up around so many Colombians, we knew that um, there were many aspects to Colombian culture and Colombian politics that make them very natural constituents of the GOP. And that we needed to just tailor our message a little bit more to them, right? And so we almost—it it was almost like—it was almost like Providence, right? Like we—we we had this gift over the summer where this Marxist leader from Colombia called Gustavo Petro, who had run for president before and only obtained like not, something like nine percent of the Colombian expat vote in Florida, he he came out over the summer and said, you know, I'm not an American, but if I if I were, I'd, I'd vote for Joe Biden. And we were like, wow, this is you know, we, we should amplify this to let Colombian Americans know that uh, these are the types of supporters that Joe Biden is attracting. And uh, you know, combined with just a very strong economic message. Um, you know, we did a lot of ads, just like economic, basic economic contrast ads, but tailored more to Hispanics. So, you know, as, as someone like who really didn't come from the world of Republican politics, as an outsider looking looking at that world, it always seemed to me like Republicans since since like 1980 had assumed, um, you know, like the old Reagan mantra that that Hispanics are a Republican; they just don't know it yet. And you, if you talk to them about faith, faith and family you'll, you know, you'll win Latinos. And I think that's true to an extent, like where it'll, it it might get you to like, sort of like a baseline vote with Hispanics, but I don't think it does much more than that. So we started expanding the, we amplified the message. We expanded it a little bit to start covering different issues, like, like poverty, like police funding, like border security, but framed in, in ways that are culturally relevant to Latinos. And that really resonated um, in these communities. So we ended up seeing big gains with Colombian Americans. So like now we have like a new coalition in South Florida, which had traditionally depended on older Cuban Americans like my grandparents to now it includes like this is something that's not really hasn't really been talked about too much, which is that um, Trump flipped young Cuban Americans who had been pretty solid Democrats uh, since 2008. He flipped them where uh, the, uh, the, the FIU poll shows that he won at least 55 percent of them. Um, and I, th- I think that's really fascinating because that means that a lot of young Cuban Americans who had previously voted for Barack Obama and for Hillary Clinton s- changed in 2016. So you have this new coalition with young Cuban Americans, these more recent Cuban arrivals who a-, a lot of people had assumed would just vote for Democrats um, because you know they weren't like your traditional uh, political exiles like my like my dad, for example. Um, and then and then you have that combined with. Uh, a pretty healthy share of the Colombian vote of Nicaraguans, Venezuelans, Peruvians, and that formed this new Republican coalition in South Florida. And if when you look at the gain in South Florida relative to 2016, 
um, it accounted for 69% of the president's statewide winning margin in Florida. And I thought that was really fascinating. And then if you add on to that, some of these gains in central Florida, in uh, these uh, Puerto Rican communities, in Osceola and in Orange County, you know, where you saw an 11 point gain for the president, I think it's it's really it's really interesting, at least to me. And part of what we did specifically with Puerto Ricans, and this is something that I think you and I talked about throughout the campaign, is that um, you know we had a culturally like like relevant message to Puerto Ricans, um, where you know uh, I'll give you a good example of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, the um, in, in Puerto Rican political culture, and I know this because I have I have Puerto Rican friends. I had a um, uh, a messaging guru who was a, who was Boricua. And uh, I also have um, some family on the island. In Puerto Rican political culture, the corrupt son of a politician is called Elijo Talentoso, right? So that fit perfectly with our messaging around uh, the scandals, like Hunter Biden okay. scandals. Right? <laughs> yeah, but you, I mean, I get it. I mean, if, if this is where I'm going to stop you first. I know you're right, but sure, I just sure. want to stop you for a second because to put a disclosure of, you know, you guys are a political campaign, you're messaging whether it's accurate or not is open for debate. And I don't want to, you know, I'm just letting listeners know that like, you know, this is what campaigns do. I'm probably getting so much grief for this interview, but come on, bring it on. Um, But I I think like you, you did that one. You also did the one of the one about the, what was the the term that you used for the China one? I forget. Um, Oh, uh, well, so, so so we said, um, uh, so we said that uh, que Joe Biden, uh, what was it? Yeah, que Joe Biden votó por la nue- para quitar la 936. Yeah, yeah, and, and Puerto yeah. Rico, which I yeah, know we got into an argument. We got into a heated debate about that one because I was like, but you know, it's all good. Continue. I thought it was a stretch, but continue. But but yeah. but I think but I think the point you're saying that I, I want to look at this overall is that your messaging was so culturally specific. I actually recall. I think that that the president's account president trump's account um tweeted out the columbia thing like i was like what are you doing why are you treating up columbia <laughs> stuff like that yeah, was so- really specific and i was like wow that's i mean i you know what i'm saying like that was something that i yeah, saw that- yeah, like a lot of so the, it's funny the Columbia stuff really flew under the radar because we don't really pay a lot of attention in the U.S. to Colombian Americans or to Colombian politics, and I think that's sad. But um, so someone someone like me who spent much of his childhood in Kendall, which is a, a suburb of Miami Dade County, which has like is home to like the largest pocket of Colombian Americans in the country. Um, you know, it, it's a, you know you just happen to know a lot about Colombian Americans and Colombian culture. Um, so w- when it came to Colombian Americans, I thought like the president was just very on point. Like, so he tweeted out that uh, this is when Alvaro Uribe, the the former president of Colombia, when he was released from house arrest. So he tweeted out a congratulations to Uribe, and he said that uh, he that uh, Alvaro Uribe is a great ally in the fight against Castro Chavismo, and so that word Castro Chavismo, it's not a Cuban word. Uh, it, it's actually a word that is very uh, became popularized by Uribe himself in Colombian politics. Uh, it, it, a Cuban would look at that word and immediately understand what it is that he's talking about, but it's not like it, that's not a word that a Cuban would use. And now it, it's a word that Uribe popularized. So that was 
a really a way of con- connecting with Colombian Americans in a, in a manner that was very like very culturally relevant to them. Yeah. So let me ask you a couple questions about this because I do think how much is the socialism message? Um, how much did it impact? That's number one because I do think like when I say it, people are like, "Oh, you're being simplistic," but I'm like, I don't think so because I do think there's a lot of um, the messaging. It, it's what I just told Carlos Olio. It's like. Republicans that you people that work in Republican campaigns really don't need a lot of messaging. It has to be very specific to get Latino voters in certain pockets, but it's not like Democrats because Democrats have the bigger share of the Latino vote, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's just the reality. So, but you have to, but by by making it a bigger share, you have a lot of different regions and ethnicities and countries. But it feels like as let me ask you the the social as. You know, I, I can get into a, an intellectual debate about, you know, tossing out Castro Chavismo, but I'm not going to because that's a different podcast. But um, it was effective. No, as simplistic as it was, did it, did it rile up the voters? Did it get the voters that the Trump campaign wanted to get? I guess that's the question. Was it that simplistic? Um, I, so I, I think, look, what I, what I try to explain to people who are like from outside of South Florida and outside of these communities is that it's not just it's not just about socialism as like an economic philosophy. It's it's almost like a moral value, right? And if you're from Miami and if you're Cuban American or Venezolano or even Colombian, because uh, you know they've had to deal a lot with like these guerrillas, um, it's just like, like socialism. It, it's not just it's not just like some uh, abstract political philosophy. It, it's like it's like morally repugnant to you. Right. So that's why I think it's so effective, because you're you're essentially communicating that X, Y, Z person who either sympathizes with socialism or is surrounded by socialism, that this person does not share your your basic moral values. Right. Um, and, and I think that's part of what makes it very effective in these communities, because uh, these are people who, who, who fled those types of systems. Yeah. So then how much were, you know, outside of Florida and other places, I know most of the focus was on Florida, but there was places like Nevada. And I want to talk a little bit about the um, Southern Texas a little bit. I know people are like, well, you're spending too much time. No, I'm not spending too much time. I want to know why. Like, this is what I do as a journalist. I want to know why. So ask me, like, what kind of voters were attracted? Like, what kind of Latino voters were attracted to voting for Trump? And what would you think the reasons from your messaging and what you're seeing? Was it, you know, the super churches? Was it the fact that parts of, you know, parts of the country were underrepresented and have never really experienced like real outreach by any political party? So the first person that shows up, it's like, oh, okay. whether you agree with it or not, what do you think are some of the reasons and what do you think a Trump Latino voter is? I think the like our voters were primarily working and middle class Latinos um, if you look at the data, it seems as though we we performed a little bit better with men than with women. Um, but these are people who uh, just like it's funny. I just finished an analysis this morning that I just published on on Twitter. When you look at the border counties and not just in Texas, when you look at the majority border counties in Arizona, California, New Mexico and Texas, Trump got 41 percent of the vote in those counties when you combine the vote shares and these aren't these are counties that are like 83% hispanic so um you know i think the democrats have a little bit of a blind spot as a political matter if they're not 
if they're essentially abandoning the the topic of border security altogether and not really engaging on it in the way that they used to, like say like in 2008 and 2012, mm. when they would talk about border security, because that look, that topic really matters. And honestly, it's something that I didn't fully appreciate until I moved to Texas. Um, and I started just speaking with people and, you know, when you go to a place like Hidalgo, Texas or Star County and you start talking to people there, it's like, yeah, like border security, it really matters to them in their lives. It impacts the, the way that they live in in ways that are often unseen. Like I had a guy tell me he was like, yeah, man, like I'm a I'm a mechanic. Um, if somebody comes across the border with basic mechanic skills, they can outbid me for work uh, just very easily because, you know, he could just, this guy can like, some guy can just walk up to my boss and say, Hey, I'll do that guy's job for $5 an hour or whatever. And so it really, it starts, it, it impacts them in ways that I think a lot of us who don't live in these areas that, that'll just kind of like fly over our heads. Um, cause we don't really think about it. You know, like, like no one's ever walked up to my boss and said, Hey, I'll do Giancarlo's job for a lot less. Right. It's like something like I've never had that kind of an economic security issue. Um, and I think that really affects these pe- people's lives and we can't just like not talk about it or pretend that their concerns about this are, are racist or something like it's like a very real concern for them. And I think, yeah, we, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I didn't want to cut you off. Finish your point. Oh, no, that's okay. I, I was going to say, I, I think it's clearly as someone who, who looked at Joe Biden's messaging very clearly and has looked at the Democrats messaging very clear, like uh, very carefully um, these past few years, it just seemed to me like Democrats are not really talking about that issue, at least not on a national level. Like, you know, maybe some of the local elected officials do, but it's uh, on a national level, that's not really a topic that they really stress too much anymore. Yeah. And also, I think there's a couple of reasons as well. I mean, if you look at parts of Texas, I mean, talking to people in the in, in, the, in southern Texas, and I don't want to belabor this, but there, it has been an issue of underrepresentation and under outreach and a little bit of like crony pol- politics. Uh, you know, the Democratic Party down there is a little bit more um, insular in a lot of ways. And and I think, you know, when you have a Border Patrol industry with, you know, there's plenty of Latinos who work in immigration enforcement. You know, if you sure. go down there, it's like everyone, you know, every Border Patrol agent I know is is like is, you know, has a. You know, it's like Rodriguez Gonzalez, you know, it's yeah, it's yeah. real. And talking to younger people, they've been kind of ringing the bell on this one and saying, you know, there's something about Trump. And and I and I and before we get to that final question, so I, I, just to, to to kind of put a button on this, there is sort of this sense of like you haven't tapped into the Democratic Party still hasn't tapped into. Um, let's say like they might have done in Arizona or even in Nevada or other parts of the Southwest and West where I think it's still Texas is, is sort of a, is like this Holy grail that's going to take maybe four or five cycles and you never know. And I think Florida mm-hmm. is just like, Florida is a red state. I'm just, mm-hmm. if people call it purple. It's like Florida is in play. Um, it'll always be in play. Um, anyway, tell me about mega churches, evangelicals. Was that also part of the message? I, uh, but before that, before that, you didn't even bring up the salsa song. Oh my god! So I had so much fun with that. So I'll tell, tell, you tell me about story. that one, and then we'll I'll, talk I'll about t- the evangelicals and mega churches. Yeah, I'll tell you a very quick story. So I was I flew out to Dallas. My wife was getting uh, surgery, and thank God she was you know she was okay, so she's recovering. And so I kind of had like my phone away from me, and I come back to my phone, 
And I see just a bunch of messages from people because these guys did like some Facebook live jam that had gone viral. And so these people had sent it to me. And by the end of the night, I had 11 different messages, like messages from like different people sending me a link to like this Facebook live jam that the salsa band did. I was, by the way, I was familiar with Los Tres de La Habana. My wife is Guara, who came to this country just a few years ago. So very familiar with Los Tres de La Habana. And I was like, um, and, uh, and I'm sorry if this is a, a PG rated show, but I said coño. No, like, no, you, like, no, it's not a PG rated <laughs> show. So I, you're the Catholic in this. I'm, I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm, I'm the recovering Catholic. I'm, you know, I was, I was waiting for someone to like drop a Spanish curse word. Go, go ahead. Yeah. So, so I was like coño. Like we have something here, and so I reached out to the band immediately, and I said, I was like, oh yeah, I love this song. Uh, we just need to switch a couple little things. And, uh, you know, they re-recorded it, sent it our way. And within like a week, uh, we made it, um, we made it into an ad that I had the great pleasure of working on. Um, and we really wanted to make it fully representative of the, the entire, cause you know, it's obviously like a very uh, Caribbean slash like Cuban sound like that, that actual, like that kind of salsa is actually called Dimba. Uh, like, like that's almost like Cuban festival music. So I, I wanted to make it as inclusive as possible. Uh, so, you know, so you have uh, the Mexican dancers there, you have the, the, uh, Colombians as well in the ad and the, and the Boricuas with their flags. So we, we wanted to make it very inclusive and the president loved it is what I was told. And we, we turned it into a national television spot and bought the YouTube masthead for 48 hours leading up to the election, uh, playing, play, uh, playing the salsa song. I, I think we were like the first GOP campaign to ever do that. And as like someone who had like spent time in Latin America, it had always like kind of stood out to me that in Latin America, the political campaigns use jingles quite often. And I had never really seen that in the U.S., at least not to this extent in terms of Hispanic outreach. And I thought that it would be a pretty, um, a pretty cool way of, of engaging Latinos with like a very simple message. Cause if you just, if you watch the ad, the message is, is simple. It's like, para la economía por Trump, you know, vota por tu familia por Trump, you know? So it's like a very simple message. Yeah, even if like, I could fact check it the whole way, but I, I know what you're saying. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm yeah. resisting. I'm resisting. But listen, um, two more questions because we're, but I appreciate you. Talk to me about the role of the mega churches that evangelical. Was that also a part of this messaging? Like, was that integrated? Yeah. Because is it you know again? What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so you know it's funny. One of the ads, um, and this is told to me by my by, by the digital team. So one of the ads that we made that was the most popular was one that we made uh, with for uh, around the Amy Coney Barrett where we talked about that she was, you know, una madre de siete, una mujer católica. That ad was extremely popular um, because it was like a new, like new kind of political messaging. So I think that really resonated with people. And, and I know that Sandra and my colleagues on the Latinos for Trump coalition really spent a lot of time reaching out to these churches in particular places like central Florida, where you have like a very strong Boricua evangelical community and just making sure that like those voters were coming home. And, and, you know, uh, we dispatched, I believe the vice president visited one of these churches. I know that the president visited one of these churches in Southwest Miami Dade. And we also did very similar outreach like that in, in places like Philly. And so like, when you start looking now at these, uh, I don't know if there's a correlation there, if these are like more evangelical Hispanics were coming out, but when you look at the results in like Philly's Latino precincts, you see that the president gained about like 12 points from, uh, fr from 2016. 
And I think that's that's a big testament to to like our all of the above kind of outreach that we did. Right. All right. So so I have now I now this is you know we've talked for a while and um, sure. I have two difficult questions and then we're done. Of course. Okay. So I'm just setting you up here. Give me the first one in terms of what you think is the divisiveness and obviously what you see when you see Latino Trump supporters. I mean, I'm sure, believe me, like I, I'm going to look at tweets, you know, people are going to call me every name in the book for just having a conversation with someone like you. Right. Let's just be oh, real. Okay. Let's just be real. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm a nice person. I'm a nice, I, I, I know, but there's, to, there's, you know, there's nice plenty guy. of people who are going to say, you know, why are you bringing someone who <laughs> ran a, you know, like, which I think there's, there's sure. some valid, validity to the fact that, you know, some of the support is based on class and race and affluence and where you come from and, you know, ideology and brings a lot of the Latin American baggage. Let's just say it that way, right? That there's a little bit of that in this. How do, not that I'm saying, like, what are, how do I put this? What is being missed in, in, in trying to understand where the Latino population, the conservative Latino population is in this country right now? I guess that's my question. It's like, is it just Trump? Is it a conservative movement? Like, if Trump goes away, does the Republican Party have a shot? Like, is it one-third? Is it always going to be one-third? And if it is, why or why not? Like, what, what is being missed? Like, this is, my, this is the question that I really want to kind of get your yeah. thoughts on. As, as, a, as someone who was a former Democrat who has now switched. Um, yeah. What are your yeah, thoughts? I think, so, I think what people are missing, and honestly— the the top Latinos tweet from Axios I thought was very telling. I actually had a different, yeah. <laughs> no, I think you're. Like, that's a good thing. All right, continue. Yeah. I, I think we should just make fun of Axios, whoever <laughs> wrote that. But continue. No, and and, and I, you know, like, and I get what they were trying to say. I actually have a di- like an opposite take. My my like my perspective is that I think these people listen to too many top Latinos and not enough to, you know, like your average. Abuelo Pepe and Tia Guga and, and like engaging these types of people as part of their daily lives, because the president has a very strong blue collar appeal. Right. And I'm sorry, like this is and it's nothing personal. But if you're Jorge, Jorge Ramos, that's not your crowd. Th- those aren't the people you mingle with. So to think that someone like Jorge Ramos is representative of the entire Hispanic experience and that his description of how Latinos think about politics and, and like that their perspectives is all encompassing of, of the entirety of, of, of the Hispanic electorate or Latino electorate, however you want to call it. I, I just think really misses the mark. Like there's clearly like these border results, these border County results really sh- should should ca- cause the liberal commentariat to pause, right? And to just think, are we listening to the right Latinos? Or should we get more ideological diversity? Should we invite guys like Julio? Because you know, like I, I think you and I may may disagree with Paul, like on Paul, like yeah. on, on, no, on policy. No, I, you know, I mean, like, I mean, I'm, I'm the first person to call you out on Twitter when I don't think that you know me. Yeah, yeah. You know. No, but but you but you have, I think, you're not like. Uh, and, and I know you went to Harvard and everything, but like, you're not like wrapped up, like in like this little bubble. Well, I think it's also because, and I'm glad you say this because I think one of the biggest misperceptions that people have about what I do as a journalist is like, I always look at the Latino, I'm constantly curious and, and really going, okay, why did this, how did this miss? Even though the bigger picture, like if you just heard the Carlos Odio interview that I did with Carlos, um, you know, there are some things that the Democratic, that Biden-Harris actually did well. 
um, to to do what they needed to do. And, and But I also think you have to acknowledge that, I mean, I called the national exit. I predicted the national exit poll yeah. to, by one percentage point. You know what I'm saying? Because, yeah. because I was listening to people like you and other people and this whole, I, I, you know what I mean? So I, I'm glad you say that because I think there's this misrepresentation. It's like, yes, I, you know where I stand. You know, my, I am an open book. Like I've written things, you know, people, you know, you do not have to like find, you don't have to search a lot to find out how, what I, my, my opinions about the Trump presidency and administration have been. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, what is being missed? And I mean, I also think a little bit, young Carlo, that there might be a little bit of over. I'm trying to think of like, what does this mean for the Republic? Because everyone's like, the Republican Party's dead. And I'm sitting here going, well, they got a third again. They got a third of the yeah. Latino vote, maybe a little bit better. So what is, yeah. you know, what, what's this, you know, how, this is not as different as, say, like George W. Bush in 2004. You know what I mean? It's like, they're, you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's like, it just can't be that simplistic and so so what is the conservative latino movement now in 2020 is it just based on trump or is it bigger than you know is it you know what i mean it's like if when trump goes away which you know yeah. i'm i'm saying it but is it still going to be there or is it relying on trump so look i think what 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 both george w bush and uh president trump uh really appealed to and tapped into is sort of like this this blue collar like like blue, like blue collar values. You keep bringing yeah. that back, and it kind of—it's like the third or fourth time you say it. So, I think when you look at it demographically, if you, if you, if it, it does start to make sense a little bit now that the way you, at least your argument, I can see where you're coming from, because yeah. if you start saying, "Well, we're growing as a population, we're entering the middle class, we're part of the working class, we haven't reached the top yet as a community," I can see that there's yeah. more of a working class approach, and and also to be honest with you. There's a part of me as to like, that's why Bernie Sanders actually did well with Latinos more than Biden, you know, because yeah. I do think, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, and, and I and I, I think that's a very astute observation. Um, and I would also like, I totally agree with with Marco Rubio's take on this, which is that the future of the GOP should be a multi ethnic, multi racial party focused on the working and middle class. I think that's you know we we cannot go back to being perceived as the party of judge smales from caddyshack like that's not we can't go back to that like uh you, you know it, we will alienate uh, a large part of our base and it'll really limit our our ability to make inroads with minority communities and you know, like look as someone who's like lived in miami and now lives in 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 texas and i've spent like a lot of time in boston and a lot of these other communities with like significant hispanic populations like when I go to like bachangas, like at people's houses, uh, or if I go to like someone's barbecue or something like that, you know, there's a lot of like consistency across uh, whether you're Cuban or Mexican American or Boricua. Um, there's a like we have like at least and and uh, pardon me if I'm overgeneralizing, but I, I feel that we we have like a lot of like blue collar values. Like we all love la jodera, we all love to like. Uh, like we're loose, we we joke around, we're easygoing. It, like maybe the music that we listen to in each party is different, but we have like a lot of like these like blue collar values that we bring to the table. And so I think that a democratic party that is at least perceived as being uptight and too politically correct and kind of stuffy, I think that just rubs a lot of Hispanics the wrong way. And the fact that the president is like 
as as he would describe himself sometimes as like a bull in a china shop, um, that kind of appeals to people. It, it, it's like refreshing in some ways. And that our messaging was so focused on like when we would reach out to like in some of our advertising, for example, we would talk about poverty, which is something that not you don't see a lot of Republicans talking about that. But we, we talk about like cutting the poverty rate and increasing wages and salaries. And that sort of like basic messaging, I think, really resonates with Hispanics who are like who because this is something that we would hear all the time and you would see it reflected in, in our advertising that like people would tell us like, look, yo vine aquí para, para echar pa'lante. Like I came here to move forward. I came here to work. People wake up each morning thinking, all right, like how, like, how am I going to put a plato comida en la mesa to feed, the, to feed the kids? And those are the types of concerns that these communities have. And, you know, like a Republican Party that is preoccupied with, uh, you know, like obscure libertarian theories and stuff like that, I, I, I think it's going to fall flat with Hispanics. So I really hope that, in the, in the, in the, in the future, we continue like really stressing upon like these blue collar values when, when we engage these communities. All right. Giancarlo Sopo. Um, yeah. Thanks for, um, thanks for taking the time. Um, strap it on, strap on the shield after this podcast drops, because I'm sure, um, <laughs> but you engage everyone. So like the so one thing about Giancarlo is like, if you're going to go after him and if you're going to criticize me for like, him being on the show, he's more than happy to engage you, <laughs> right? Giancarlo, like you, he's gonna be Maybe like, too happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's gonna be like, okay, I, I got a week, so come at me. So, listen, no, I do appreciate your time, and uh, let's stay in touch. And uh, I think it was important to kind of, given you know, I'm gonna continue to focus on the election, but given um, what is happening and what's gonna happen next year, uh, with a new administration, it, I still think it was important to capture this conversation. And, and to be honest with you. To capture it in, with, with someone that actually worked the community as opposed to what you're seeing are these, uh, I think, are massively simplistic takes about this from non-Latinos. So um, I don't want to call people out uh, the daily New York Times. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I think there's, I think you should have been someone they should have talked to, to be honest with you. That, you know what well, I'm saying? Thank you. Um, can, can I add one more tidbit that I think is really important? That is something that I noted. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of us on the Trump campaign uh, who are Hispanic, we actually just didn't come from like the DC operative world, and I think that kind of that kind of fresh perspective. Like I'm someone who I talk to my mom every day. We're very close, and I know my mom after a long day of work, she just watch, comes home and watches like Caso Cerrado, uh, and so like having those kinds of like strong connections to the communities and not really being in like these activist circles, either on the right or on the left. I think that's sort of an advantage that we brought to the table because I know some of my counterparts on the Biden campaign and they're, 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 they're lovely people. Um, but you know, they, a lot of them, what I noticed, they really do come from these activist circles in DC. And I think it's easy when you're in kind of like those bubbles, like the same observation I made, like if you're Jorge Ramos, it's easy to get like disconnected from what you're, your garden variety Latino thinks about things and like their life experiences and how they actually speak and stuff like that. So I thought that that was something interesting. And we also, another thing that I thought was really cool is that we actually had Hispanics integrated all throughout the campaign and not just working on so-called like Latino issues or Latino outreach, but like we had Hispanics doing like in all sorts of departments and everything and having that kind of like cultural awareness at every level of the campaign, I thought was very helpful. 
All right. Well, you know, like I said, you're a talker. And as I'm trying to close out the show, you're like, let me get three more points in. But listen, no, sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. It's, it's all good. It's all good. Thanks again, Giancarlo, for, for being on. Un placer. That was uh, Giancarlo Sopo, uh, who was part of the Trump campaign no longer. Break it down. Listen, everyone, you can do whatever you want to do with the show. I get to decide what guests I have on my show because it's my damn show. And it's one thing that to talk about, I, you know, I, I do think there's a lot of noise about Latino support for Trump, but I don't think it's the right noise. And I think just listening to Giancarlo, understanding at least that point of view, I'm not trying to two-side this thing. I think it's important. I think there were things that happened. We were predicting that Trump was going to do better in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of an economic crisis, and in the middle of a, you know, what was happening to the Latino community. I was seeing indications that he was going to do better, but no one really wanted to believe that. And someone like Giancarlo, who was working the ground, was someone I, I was seeing the work, and I was just intrigued as to, like, why? Why this? Because that is a big question. It is a huge question that I continue to continue to want to explore. And because I do, I, you know, given what the president has said uh, or done and continues to do and that there's, there's, there's something here and it does, you know, this notion of the Republican party being irrelevant. I don't know. I think that's too, you know, they have to make a shift and there might be some indications that they did. We'll see. We'll see who the next, you know, when the next candidate runs in 2024, um, we'll see what happens. We'll see what a Biden-Harris administration will do and, and whether they're going to deliver on the promises made to the Latino community. Um, we, have, we didn't even discuss the, the immigration legacy uh, and the issues that are coming from that. And so I think this was an important conversation to have. If you like what you heard, rate, review us, share it. And, and we'll be back next week uh, after Thanksgiving. Stay safe out there. and. Um, yeah, and like we always do, we always close out with La Plebe. Menas Abiertas, Julio Ricardo Varela, Latino Rebels Radio. We out of here.
from PRX.